welcome to another episode of Cinema Rabbit Trails. I'm David. I'm Dustin. And I'm Jerry. I'm Adam. So we just watched Goodwill Hunting, but before we get into uh, that, we do have a guest with us. We do have Dustin. So he will be uh, joining in our conversation, and we're very, very excited for that. So Goodwill Hunting came out, uh, what year did that come out? 97. 97. Yeah. 97. So definitely very. Uh, Famous film, actually. One of the very first ones Matt Damon and Ben Affleck starred in, and I believe they even wrote. Affleck. Alf- they did. They yeah, they, they, they wrote, wrote together as <laughs> they well. So if you've never seen the film, it is definitely a very, very good film. I'm just going to forewarn you, there is some language in the film, but it, you know it's set in the Boston area, so kind of rough and tumble there. But the quick synopsis of the story, so uh, Will, who's played by Matt Damon, his character, um, he's 20 in the film, extremely intelligent um, mathematician, works at um, Harvard cleaning the floors. And anyway, he has the opportunity to uh, move on and aspire to greater things in in math and um, all that. And so one of the professors sees the work that he does, challenges him to step into that, but he's got a criminal background, and one of the things he has to do is see a therapist played by Robin Williams. And so Robin Williams functions as his shrink, uh, helping him to explore his past and unlock his potential. And all the while, while this is going on with him wrestling with wanting to move forward, he's also dealing with some fears of not wanting to leave the past. And he also has a love interest named Skylar who's involved with that. So he's definitely having to deal with his identity versus being courageous and stepping into uh, new and greater things. And it's definitely a great film, a lot of great themes. Um, so we're going to do the best we can to cover as many of them as we can with our episodes. So... But to uh, get us going, um, Dustin had a fantastic thought about uh, this is a coming-of-age story. So, Dustin, if you want to expound on <clears throat> Sure. Uh, yeah. The coming-of-age, it, it, the, the last day of the, of the story, he actually turns 21. So it's quite literally coming-of-age. And the, the, um, the objective way to think about coming-of-age is just turning a new year turning into you you gain a year you're now a year older you become an adult at 18 here in the United States but there's a more subjective way of thinking about it which I'm this is not original I got this from Jordan Peterson um, who, who once said that the, the the moment a person becomes an adult is the moment that they realize uh, you there's no one has a better idea what you should do with your life than you do which is a really terrifying thought, and I think that's what Will has to deal with uh, at the very end of the movie, because he's he's being pressured by uh, who was the math professor again? Uh, Lambo. 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 Right. So he was pressured shield, shield by guy. <clears throat> he was pressured by the shield guy to to pursue mathematics as a career. Um, he's pressured by you could say himself or his psyche to just continue working in construction with his friends and and doing whatever just kind of gliding through life um he's he's pressured to do all kinds of things and and he seems to have dismissed the idea are we allowed to put spoilers oh yeah yeah. absolutely especially this old of a film presuming that you've already seen it yeah um it's it's assumed by the end of the film that he's already dismissed the option of pursuing skylar as a romantic interest but then he actually chooses to to do that with his life. And and I love the the last uh session that he has with uh Sean played by Ronald Williams when he he keeps asking him what do you want to do? 
and and that's really the question that that Will has to answer at the end of the movie, and and he's given a car by his his friends who who all chip in to to get him this twenty first birthday present of a car symbolizing freedom and mobility and choice, and nobody can make that choice but him, and he actually chooses to go off and and pursue the the woman that we thought he rejected. Yeah. Can I play off of that real quick before we get into the... Yeah, I just, I, just, so, I just thought that was awesome. So <laughs> I actually, like, I, I agree with you, but I have some... I think there's a bigger element than just the freedom of choice here. Uh, I think it's, in the end, it kind of played out as train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. it because Robin Williams' character, Sean, he was the first father figure he really had. Mm. And you see, all he did, he literally stole his line... And did the exact same thing and chased after the girl after the girl because due to Robin Williams uh, her Sean's example and his testimony, he found so much more joy in being a small college or small town teacher, but married to the woman that he just as as he said, who looked into his eyes and just killed him. Exactly. Yeah, right. just leveled him. And yeah, that's I think it was more about um, you know I want to. Pursuing the joy that I my my father my mentor has shown me is out there and the way that can be obtained as opposed to success. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But yes, there is freedom of choice in that. But I <clears> think <throat> there's a stronger influence more than just freedom to choose. Yeah, and that's that's definitely the the role that Robin Williams played in his brief. I mean, however many months it was that they were. Yeah. In the counseling sessions together, it was the first time he had a father figure. Yeah. Definitely. And it seemed like it was the first time he had a son figure as well. Because you didn't really get a mention of That's John true. ever having any kids. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't know. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, that jumps us into uh, kind of taking a step back here. Um, so one of the things that is also a theme is talking about, you're talking about freedom, how that's exciting, and also that's a very terrifying thing. What do you do with that kind of freedom? That's definitely part of getting older is being responsible with that freedom. So one of the questions is, Will is, he's at Harvard, but he's also still technically hiding. He knows he's got a gift, but he's not. A, he doesn't want to use it. So why do we tend to hide, even if we might, because uh, his friend said, you have a, a lottery ticket, but you won't cash it in. So why do we tend not to, if we have gifts, we tend not to use them or go after the things we feel like we may want, in your opinion? That could be a loaded question. I mean, that, that could depend on a lot of people's sure. personal experience to a large degree. Um, what was Will's reason? Let's, let's just jump into that first and then uh, go well, from there. Let me jump in and just, yeah, let me, let me say in, in kind of answer to that question, yeah. I would say that uh, he needed a grip on something. Like, his brain was massive he had a world inside and so if you think about that he needed something small something that he could he could hold on to you know when he didn't even understand himself and as you saw he had he he kept the whole world inside he didn't want to share that with the world he was so reluctant and that that was the journey that him and, and robin's character had of just him eventually coming to to terms with himself and with opening up this world of his and so he needed something small in his life compared to the the grand picture the grand the grand portraits that he was creating in his brain of just numbers and ideas and mm -hmm. all of these things that uh, were so abstract so he needed something down to earth that he could he could cling on to something on the pavement you know 
Um, I think also, though, it's just that he, he was a very perceptive person. I mean, he tried to do it with Sean the moment he walked into the office and looked sure. at the painting and just, like... Tried to play him. Yeah, just tried to yeah. play him and just tried to... And thought he had a read on exactly who he was. Um, and I think it was partially just that he didn't want... He didn't care about success because he saw how miserable or fake all these actual successful people were. Mm. And that was the example he was going by, that success means... Just, uh, just a faux mentality, or just complete, or com- being completely miserable. That's true because um, he like criticized the college professors. Exactly, which is then ironic that Sean is possibly just the saddest person you could have come to. Just like he just has so much suffering and sadness having recently happened in his life, yet in the end he's the one who brings him the most joy, and they both bring each other joy. Really want to touch on some a question on relationships there, but I'll, to, I'll hang on to it All right. later. Um, so actually, let's see. Let's move on. I actually, want to move on to the theme of masks and strength. So uh, there's a quote that says, uh, "Any strength that's overused becomes a weakness." Who says that? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to. I think it's strength guy who wrote Strength Finders, Strength Builders. <clears throat> I'll find it. I'll, I'll find it. I'll put it in the uh, Facebook chat. Mm-hmm. But. Um, First of all, do you guys agree with that? If we're talking in a worldly sense, yes. Fleshly, emotional, intelligent kind of strengths, sure. If you have a spiritual strength, like you actually have a really good gift of, or a strength of being able to help others, being able to serve others, being a good leader, like, you could, sure, you could use those for the wrong means. That's not using it too much. That's just using it the wrong way. But I think there are... So, I mean, yeah, you could almost argue that no, no gift is can be used too much. It depends on your your boundaries, your laws, that your beliefs that are guiding you to use those. I mean, hey, I mean, it's Hitler was a was a good leader. He was a terrible person. He used his leadership really, really well, but had a very, very poor sense of lines, boundaries, and morals. Mm-hmm. But you take someone with those same skills in... That's really, you could say, even like Moses was a really good leader, even though he really had to get pushed into it. Moses was someone who led the people of Israel for a much longer time than Hitler led Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had to put up with a lot of really bad people, so or just people mm-hmm. who were really crappy to him all the time. So you might say he was even a better leader, and he used it well. Well, because, because the question I'm kind of going to be driving at is, Will had a strength, and it was his intellect. Very smart, very smart, also very... Uh, confrontational, very witty as well, and he used that to his advantage because he let people get close to him. So in that, in that regard, that's what I was thinking. It's, in a way, kind of became, he wouldn't let people in. And he had a great wall to prevent people from getting in. So the question I was going to ask you guys is, strengths that we have, is it possible, what strengths have you seen in your own life where it's like, hey, I can... I might be a really good people person, but that also prevents people from actually getting to know me because I can make them laugh or whatnot. Um, what strengths do you see people may put on that it's not actually who they are? Hmm. And maybe in your own life. I mean, Just I'm, look at social media. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's every, talk about that. I mean, every, the, the biggest flaw with social media is just the pride issue. I mean, everyone tries to show that they have this perfect, wonderful life. Or they show that they have just a terrible, rotten, such a suffering, self-pitying right. life, which is pride on both ends of the spectrum. Um, well, a great a great way to to hide behind is a great thing to hide behind is knowledge. 
So there's a lot of knowledge now, whether that's knowledge about food, knowledge about uh, your, your favorite Netflix show, you know, and so on, where you just develop all this knowledge in order to present something that is impressive. Mm. And that, that includes all of us. We do that in some way. Um, and we just, you know, sometimes we disguise the real self just behind that because yeah. it's too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, confrontation is inconvenient. <laughs> But yet, that may be the long-term uh, the, the solution yeah. that we need. Yeah, and the ultimate example, obviously, would be Christ, because he's the most powerful human to ever have existed, to ever or whoever will exist. And yet, he didn't use it for any personal gain. He he used it strictly for the glory of God and for his own joy. And he yeah. used it for others. And that's I think that's the great lie. Is just that somehow using your greatest, your strongest trait or your, uh, whatever that is, whether it's intelligence, leadership, whatever, somehow we think that's, if we use that to its fullest potential, that is what equivalents us to joy. And, and just the greater lie, just that success equals joy or happiness, which is how do you define success? Exactly. Right. But yeah, it really, it really varies. And I think what it came down for will is that, you know, a successful relationship is what brings joy. It wasn't his intelligence that brought, that would bring him joy. Just Jimmy comments for I thought, yeah. So the, what was the question? Two questions ago about strengths, (laughs) any strength overuse becomes a weakness. Right. I disagree. I think it's any strength like Jerry, Jerry made a great point. Any strength that is misused, um, not necessarily overused, but misused, could be uh, a weakness or could at least be something that would, would, would be detrimental to the proper path of an individual and then, and then lead them astray, um, cause them to, to walk in the darkness rather than in the light. Um, and, and what was the next question after that? Just ways uh, people have used strengths or misused strengths as we're kind of right. going down it. The um I think the the thing that Will was struggling with was probably a fear of his own capacity mm-hmm. because he is remarkably intelligent and he has amazing potential, but potential is a quality that never needs to be proven. It's just mm-hmm. something that you kind of have. You didn't really do anything to show it, you just have it. Um and Will is probably afraid of his potential, what he could be, because people, this speaks to the human condition, that people have a capacity for greatness, um, but but not just great good, but great evil as well. And uh, I like the example you gave of, <clears throat> of Christ, who properly used his power. Um, and you, you mentioned something, he didn't, he didn't use it for selfish gain which I would argue in this way. Uh, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a sense, and I don't think that that's selfish. I don't think that Christ is being selfish when he actually wants to make his joy full by allowing us to enter into it with him. That's um, fair. I yeah. don't think that that's a really... But he also... No one would call the, the sacrifice on the cross a selfish act. Correct. You know. Well, no, 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 I actually would. Um, but... Again, this is something. This is a point about God in general. That that somebody uh, I forget who uh, I want to say John MacArthur, but I don't think it was him actually. But um, who made this point that if God didn't actually serve His own purposes, then He would not be worth serving because then He does not deem Himself to be the greatest, hmm. or the greatest being. But He has to qualify that, hmm. and He does obviously. 
when we do it, we fall short. Therefore, we have no ability to actually be worthy of, of serving our own interests. Um, but God is, is so great and loving and just is holy and perfect that serving himself means serving others, whereas that is not true for us. Mm-hmm. We have no capability to perfectly say serving ourselves means serving others. We do not have that ability. So in other words, would you rephrase this, that to say like, we people have agendas. God has an agenda, but His agenda is good, love, and holy. It's perfect, yeah. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's you know that is His agenda. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what we want is to have our agenda aligned with God's. Second exactly, yeah. Right. He is the only one who has an ability to have a perfect agenda. Right. Just look at any politician. No matter how much you like them, their agenda is yeah. has holes in it. Because usually, when you hear the word agenda, <laughs> it's usually a bad thing. Like, what's right. your agenda? <clears throat> exactly. Like, yeah, I have an agenda. agenda. Yeah. It's, I mean, God's agenda is is marriage. God's agenda is him, the Father, being married to the church. That is the ultimate agenda. And that was the agenda set forth from the beginning of creation whenever he gave Adam a partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the entire agenda. And we just, we screwed it up, and now he had to redeem that and fulfill it in a, in a very different way. But the ends are still there. Yeah, yeah so. and going back to what you mentioned about spiritual gifts, too they are exhaustive in their own right, like just alone. But if it's not linked to an inexhaustive source, which is Christ, exactly, uh, then it can't succeed. Yeah. So, yeah. Great stuff. We went down a great rabbit trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I do want to say one of, because I do see what you guys are talking about, like strength being overused. Uh, one of my strengths that I'll, I'll say that I misuse, overuse, is I tend to be a perfectionist, which... Um, mm as a creative and a perfectionist is a very deadly combination because I want to keep going at stuff, but I also realize that tends to bleed over into other areas of my life regarding my, myself, um, spiritually speaking, relationships and how I'm aiming for perfection. And that also prevents me from, you know, taking the step, uh, step. So to get for the question, um, I love this one quote that was in the movie. And so this is when uh, Will's talking about this relationship with Skylar, and he's like, yeah, you know, she's perfect, but I'm not going to pursue this. And he's like, why not? You know, uh, Sean's like, you should. And so Sean uh, really helps him, gives a different perspective, and he says, uh, people call these things imperfections, but they're not. Oh, that's the good stuff. And we get to choose who we let into our uh, weird little worlds. You're not perfect, sport. And let me save you the suspense. This girl you met, she isn't perfect either. But the question is, whether or not you're perfect for each other. That's the whole deal. That's what it's all about. And he's talking about this question of intimacy and how relationships are very um, messy. So, um, from the movie, what is Will's fear? We've kind of touched about it. What's his fear in the movie? Because he has an opportunity to go deeper with Skylar, but he doesn't. So what's his fear? And then we'll kind of feed off that in a second. Vulnerability. Yeah, I was going to say the same. I think he's Intimacy afraid. opens up vulnerability. And, and the film actually does a great job of, of setting Will up as an impressive character. Because for the first 30 minutes before we meet Sean, uh, everything uh, about Will and the way he conducts himself, the way he um, owned that guy at the bar who was... Who was uh, the Harvard student. Try, yeah, and he was... What did he, he made fun of him. He called him like the, uh, something look-alike. Oh, yeah, the, uh, Michael, Michael Bolton. <laughs> Michael Bolton look-alike, that was right. He, he's, he's clearly very, very intelligent, probably smarter than any 
of the Harvard students. And, and, but then he met Sean, and Sean introduced, to him, introduced him to himself, yeah. in a way. Because there's a great depth to Will's character that we didn't get until Sean brought it out of him. Yeah, you know? and it was interesting to me that scene when I thought is he's which scene we're talking about? Oh, so, sorry, the scene whenever Sean sits him down on the bench and talks to him and really and introduces yeah. Will to himself. Yes. Oh yes. Um, my thought there was like you know there's something to be said here on just kind of a little more not personable to the film, but just as a general concept, just reading and under and seeking understanding mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just the modern concept of absorbing entertainment and watching media. Um, it is, uh, you, you get a train, uh, you get a trained sense of your brain of when you have just been faced with an undeniable truth. And I think that's what really happened. <laughs> that was perfect Chicken timing. Time. Perfect timing. Chicken time. There was, <laughs> um, because Sean really introduced Will to an undeniable truth about himself that he had never realized. And you saw that instantly. Like, I think most people when faced with something like that would usually just kind of like, but, like, excuses, excuses. Mm-hmm. When kind he of did thing. for so long. Right, and he did for so long, but there was this moment, it's just like, holy crap, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he really he was trying to reconcile that within himself, and then Sean just gets up and leaves, and Will's sitting there on the bench thinking. Mm-hmm. And you just see that he just saw that, he, he just saw a truth about himself, and he cannot deny it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's very rare to see, just in, in general. Someone who's actually willing to... Who, who is willing to see the truth. And I think that's because of a practice he has of, of just, he, I mean, he understands things. In his words, he just, you know, he just gets it uh, when it comes to just math and science and just anything related to, like, the physical boundaries of this world. He just gets what its limits are. It just kind of clicks for him. And so he has a practice of just seeking truths and seeing that's how it works. And so when faced with the truth, it's just like, oh, that's how I work. It's the same thing. And to that point, I kind of want to move into the next phase here, but something very powerful, I think we, we, you were mentioning about how we're absorbed, you know, absorption of information, mm-hmm. but that truth would have never come to Will had there not been the relationship yeah, that exactly. Sean was establishing. And I think that's something that we're missing either one or the other either you're missing relationship or you're missing truth and you need both for transformation right? hence why my favorite movie is Interstellar because it talks about quantifying relationships yeah <laughs> it's like that's a factor it's like you need both yep. because if you you know because Will had all the truth in reading the books but there was no transformation because there was no relationship mm. component to that um, but Adam you were we were talking earlier about about this and you were talking about teaching and learning and you had some mm-hmm. interesting points to make about that so what was yeah. definitely want to hear some of your thoughts about teaching and how we learn in relationships. I forget how what was the question that you posed earlier? Yeah, and to to kind of bring this around to a personal experience and then into the the way the movie uh, revealed this was one one point that I that I recognized in the movie was just that teaching is a mutual education. Mm. The ways in which you know a teacher alone, Yes, they instruct the student, but in so many ways you are dealing with a different human being who has a whole different set of values, who has a different perspective, and you can gain so much from that. You know, we learn from children, right? Yeah. And so a a good example, I teach piano to students, and my students, they're about between like, essentially like 9 to 11 in that range, and within that time, what I've realized is 
yes, I'm teaching piano, but what I've also learned is my students see things in a different way than what I expected them to, which means not only do I learn from them, but I have to adapt. And so I start to adapt that uh, teaching and the way I see how they learn things. And that actually helps me grow as a <clears throat> teacher as well, right? Yeah. And that applies to a lot of different areas. I think it was Albert Einstein who said, if you can't explain something to someone in elementary terms, then you don't really understand it yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So, Agreed. And that's why, yeah, anybody who teaches elementary students or el elementary uh, teachers and anybody who teaches at that level and will, will generally have, especially if they're a good teacher, will have a, a profound understanding of what they're teaching because they understand it at the simplest level, which is understanding. So uh, to wrap it back up, uh, back over to the film is you see a, a definitely a mutual education there between the two of them because uh, um, Sean was willing to be so vulnerable and it was so unusual was to he, us he wasn't at the beginning though that's what was interesting it got it got pretty personal very fast because uh, uh will saw the pain yeah will saw the pain so quickly right and so you just got knocked right into it especially with him choking him that was kind of obvious <laughs> <laughs> but uh after boston strangler boston the boston strangler yes <laughs> that's what we've dubbed him yes uh but within that yeah you're right it it, it wasn't just immediate but it did in the very next session, you saw they had already breached some of that personal uh, Space. world. Yeah, <laughs> and, so, and so he stepped into that. And over the course of the film, as you see, you know, it would be easy for the film to take Sean's character and to just simply try and and, and move in an inspirational, motivational direction for Will's character. But mm. instead, you see this mutual growth between the two of them. Right. To where at the end, there's just genuine with each other and they've both grown as a result because at the end you know you just that offhand comment of thank you and sean says me thank you like essentially uh like we both are thankful because we both learn from this experience so yeah all that to say just it is a mutual education and if a teacher closes their ears that's when they stop growing as mm. a teacher mm. why do you we are because i i do wholeheartedly Hardly believe that we grow better in community and teaching mm -hmm. is a back and forth relationship. Why do we, if, if it's such a good thing, why are we so afraid of engaging in those kind of relationships, even though that might be the best thing for us? Because we don't like change for one thing. Mm. If you're, you know, if you might say this about terrible people too, like if you're just, you recognize you're a terrible person, but you know how you work, you might be reluctant to change just because you know how this is going to go. Comfortable. It is, yeah, it's comfortable. So it really comes down to are you willing to... to uh, do you find it's worth the, uh, the unknown to become a better person? Yeah. If you think about a groove <clears throat> in a road, it takes you down, right? It yeah. like drops you into what is not the road no. so the further you, the more you create those grooves the further down you go so in that illustration you see that's kind of what we do to ourselves yeah. <laughs> of getting into that mode of just repetition yeah. and getting confident in, in our foolishness here you go there are no bumpers in the bowling alley of life <laughs> <laughs> there, there's one for the t-shirts <laughs> but that's a good point though and kind of with the coming of age story is it's it is scary and therefore you want to retreat to something that is comfortable right. and he and they made a great point will wasn't being challenged it's like who mm -hmm. challenges you yeah. we don't want people to challenge us because that makes us uncomfortable and insecure <clears throat> so 
what would you say to speak to people who are trying to get out of that that groove? Maybe in your own life you've found success in that of getting out of those grooves that they are comfortable, but at the end of the day you're not going to grow and you're not being challenged to become the person and step into what you 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 know you're supposed to. I think it's a simple question. Um, in such and such amount of time, do you want to look back and say I didn't fight? Mm. No one's going to answer that and say no. I don't like and say yeah. I want to look back and I didn't fight. Especially men. I mean, men in general, like take the most soy boy, flimsy, just feminine kind of guy you could think of. Beta male. Sure. Sure. I, I'm. Yeah. Okay. Justin and, Trudeau. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Let's not go there. But anyway, just take take just the uh, the most fragile human man you could possibly think of, and they're still going to have a biological urge to want to have a stake in a fight in some point in their life. And I think that's true of everybody. But we're we're a group of men, so I'm speaking as as men to men. You know, do you want to look back and say I didn't fight? And you know the the point the the whole point of it within a Christian perspective, like, and with any and within any within any perspective, because we've been talking about becoming better people in this, but ultimately within the gospel, it's about becoming becoming more glorifying to God, drawing closer to Him, and loving Him more. So um, that that is the ultimate objective. And we know from from our from Scripture and from what we know of God that we are never going to come to completion in this world in those fights. We are never going to... God's already won the fight. We're really just... We're still in the battle. We're still in the aftermath. But the the fight is already won for us. But the the sanctification process is cannot be complete here on earth. And real quick, mm-hmm. if I can jump in there, define what you mean by sanctification. That's a really big yeah. theology word here. Yeah, so it's just the growing process of drawing closer to Christ and becoming... Um, Conformed to his image? Yes, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. So yeah, conform to God's image. So, which again is probably is another theological phrase. So yeah. sorry to listeners, but uh, just read your Bible, read Doxology, <laughs> read, read uh, uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, that giant oh book. Just there, you if go. I may, it's just <laughs> stepping into who God's supposed to be. There you, that's being good. fully, that's good. Um, yeah. Uh, what is it saying? Erasmus said that the glory of God is man fully alive. So just kind of yeah. stepping into, especially as men stepping into that. Yeah, that you know that what we're that image what we're called to be. Yeah, and this is something that I've been contemplating lately. If you don't mind me going into a little caveat here, caveat. Um, and or rabbit trail. Sorry, it's our podcast, so this is a rabbit trail here. Uh, something I've been thinking about when it comes to that, um, just the fall of man in general, and just what it is that we are lacking, um, and stemming from the Garden of Eden and the, just the fall. Mm. Um, I've been thinking a lot about just sleep and rest lately, which is a weird thing to actually try to think about. You guys have ever noticed that, you know, you never remember falling asleep. You never remember the moment fell asleep then. Like, you kind of have, like, a general sense of, like, yeah, after that, I I forget everything, but I wasn't, you don't remember falling asleep, and you don't remember sleeping. Um, And it's interesting to me how, if you, have you guys ever, tell me if you guys think this, too. Whenever you pursue sleep, like you're just like, man, I oh, just no. yep. like I need to get rest. Like I'm trying to get some sleep. It's just like when you have that as your as your foremost goal of getting rest, even if it's the most chaotic time of your life, you're trying to get rest. It's never very restful. Mm-hmm. It just never is. 
And entertainment is a great lie of like, this is something you go to when you need a break. This is what you need to do to rest. And it's never very restful. Like anytime I, I sit down and scroll through my computer just for fun's sake, look at news, look at social media, watch YouTube videos, I don't feel rested afterward. I feel anxious usually. <laughs> That's usually where it comes down to. Or I just feel like I've wasted my time, one of the two. It really doesn't, ne it never feels restful. And I was thinking about this, how just sin really flipped all of our definite, all the true definitions of what is true. It really made truth out of lies. Um, and so, for example, I just tried this yesterday, and I think this is what I want to try to do regularly, and I want to challenge others to do too. Nice. Is pursue waking. Don't pursue the sleep. And you can, you know, you can pursue work and challenges all you want, but if you're actually, if those are your goals, we often use those as means to say, okay, now I can rest. <laughs> you're working to get to qualify resting. And instead, why not pursue waking for waking's sake? Like, never want to stop being awake and never want to stop working, never want to stop being challenged. And sleep is just the part you have to lose so you can keep going. Um, and stay, that's, go ahead. Stay woke. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite in that sense, but sure. Yeah. Um, is this a plug to drink more coffee, Jerry? Is this what you're trying to this say? This is actually what I got after reading Paralandra. And this is something I went into oh, nice. in, in some thought processes and just really how a lot has been flipped on its head. And I think that's, that's something we've lost here. And this is something that I think plays out somewhat in Goodwill Hunting is that, um, and in not so much opposite ways, like you know, lies out of or, or truth out of lies kind of thing necessarily, but you know, you do see that there's a great lie here of intelligence and success begets happiness when it's really a relationship and fulfilled love that actually brings happiness. Mm. And so there is a sense of lies being turned, being construed as truth, and it takes someone who has experienced it and is knowledgeable about the actual truth to teach him to teach Will that. This is what you need to pursue to actually find happiness. Mm -hmm. uh, the success part is just a byproduct that can happen sometimes of just aspects of your own intelligence and persona. But even if you weren't, I mean, you see it. You see, I think there's some mischaracterization between Will and Ben Affleck's character because Ben Affleck is just as happy as Will in the end of things. He's a construction worker. He doesn't have success, right? But he deems himself <clears throat> successful because. He has found where he wants to be. Well, success is more subjectively defined. Exactly, and and that's that's kind of the point. Success is is generally construed as not being defined by a. It, it's defined by a number. It's right. not defined by right. your own uh, consensus of your situation. It's mm -hmm. defined by the number in your bank account. Or exactly. The so, car that's in your driveway or whatever. Yeah, and so I'm I'm just thinking a lot because you know with uh, with with. Just the entire biblical narrative, the entire story of, of Christ granting salvation is um, life becomes death and death becomes life. This life is full of death for us, and once we die, we find true life. It is the definition of misconstrued and of uh, a truth being turned into a lie because Satan would have us think that, um, that death is death and this life is, is life, yet it is actually the reverse. Yeah. It, every sin has literally flipped every definition on its head. So why then would not waking be rest and sleep being work? <laughs> why? We'll let you think about that one for a yeah, few Yeah, think about it for a, for a sec. But I, all I'm saying is that as of yesterday, I tried to... Now this probably just might have been my own energy speaking for itself. <laughs> so it's very likely I need to just... get. I'll, I'll, I'll revisit this in a couple of 
weeks whenever I keep trying to do this. I'm like, guys, this isn't working anymore. But (laughs) as of yesterday, I was very intentional about like, I just want to stay awake and work on things, just continue to do things. And some of that was like looking around at stuff online, but it was like applying for jobs or writing things or editing things, writing a song, working out, uh, talking to people. It's like what planning things out, just actually going to work. Like whenever I left work yesterday, it was like, oh, it's five o'clock. It wasn't like finally reached five o'clock. It was like, oh, it's five. It's time to go. Um, There was, sorry, one last thing. So up until I actually just like could not keep my eyes open yesterday, I was trying to do things and I didn't want to go to bed. Eventually got to the point where I had to go to bed. And it's honestly that the last night was one of the best nights I've slept in a long while. Um, And that was just interesting to me. And again, it might have just been my mindset at the time, but you should um, try melatonin. (laughs) <laughs> so so you're not so, so I don't think you are I just want to be clear you're not advocating being a workaholic here by just no going, going, I'm not going to I'm not working no so in other words what you're saying and I like this idea you're talking about like tonight when we go to bed not saying oh I'm gonna go to bed and go to sleep it's more like alright I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to bed to wake up the idea of waking exactly. up and being engaged in the moment yeah. whatever that moment is I'm fully engaged awake present looking yeah. for jobs whatever woke being being engaged in that moment and that's what you're saying that's why you're going to bed to awaken to the day whatever you need to do exactly yeah there's there's an objective in getting out of bed there's an objective in getting to sleep as well it's agenda yeah sure an agenda (laughs) Um, but yeah it's just a a really interesting thought of just like think of how many things there are that um, what we try to pursue is often not what brings us joy and the Mm somewhat opposite if not direct opposite of what we were pursuing is what will actually bring us joy um yeah so just like you know if the the worldly view of love is often you know sex and pleasure and you know just you know someone that you can uh you can cling to and everything building and you know family and all all that stuff is great but uh when you pursue that for the sake of that usually you don't find real joy and God's love is the only pure love, and you pursue that, a lot of those other things tend to fall more into place, and you're going to be a lot more joyful no matter what the outcome is on the worldly love definition side. Um, just a lot of things that tend to get flipped on its head a lot, and so there's there's a lot of things I'm thinking about there, but um, yeah, it's just, just some interesting thoughts. So. Well, good stuff. Um, well, one last thing I wanted to uh, mention before we uh, tie things up here. Uh, definitely, I want to encourage everyone to uh, check out some of Dr. Kathy uh, Cook's uh, work. She does work about there's different eight different kinds of intelligences. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because usually we think of intelligence as academia, pursuing knowledge, but realizing there's a lot more to our success and fleshing into these things. And so she challenges people not to ask, what do you want to do? Kind of success and career. But she asks people questions like, what problem do you want to help solve? And kind of finding yeah. your happiness and the joy and working with other people and helping to solve people's problems and relating with people. And you can't do that outside of relationships. So wanted to throw that in there. But, um, but yeah, before we wrap up, we also wanted to uh, throw in a plug for uh, Dustin here. So the band is Esna and the Black Sheep Band. Is that correct? Estina. Estina. Thank you. Uh, in the black uh, sheet band so yeah please go check them out also uh, Dustin is a very talented bass drum and guitar player here in Nashville so please if you need any of that for your band or an event please give him a, a, a 
look up. We'll have some of his information on our Facebook page, so definitely we'll want to support him. Or just message us directly on SoundCloud or our Facebook page or Instagram, and uh, we'll we'll connect you over if you're interested in his services. Awesome. Well, we love it. So, Well, thank you, guys. We enjoyed uh, talking. I'm available with... as well. I... Oh. <laughs> Single and available. Yes. 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 Smart man over here. So. I am the good Will Hunting. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> We were joking okay. about is there going to be a Goodwill Hunting two a sequel? Yeah, mm-hmm. and what did we say? Like it was like Goodwill Found, or if he breaks down halfway through the country, like, <laughs> yeah, he needs. Got to go see about a mechanic. Got to see about a mechanic. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, guys, but definitely check out Goodwill Hunting. There's a lot of great themes in there. I mean, we didn't get a chance to discuss, but it's a great film. So, but that wraps up another episode of Cinema Rabbit Trails. I'm David. I'm Dustin. I'm Jerry. I'm Adam. And we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Thank you.